The tree of life is Jesus. The tree of life is, um, is knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus and talking with Jesus and being filled by Jesus' spirit and doing life uh, with Jesus. I think that's what the tree of life is. He wants us to choose innocence and he wants us to choose life and he wants us to choose mercy and he wants us to choose joy and he wants us to let him be God and we're just to be his people. And that sounds so stinking simple. And yet it's so hard. And here's the thing, when you get into the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you eat of it, the problem is it doesn't kill you instantly. This poison goes inside of you and it begins to work slowly. God invites us into situations where things happen to us. Instead of getting into the knowledge of good and evil, God invites us to let those things go through Jesus. So a big question that's out there today is um, when we're growing up and then uh, become adults, uh, is that adult formed by nurture or nature? So the question really looks like this. Um, are you a product of the way you were raised, your family, the privilege, um, background, schools, neighborhoods, or are you born a particular way and then you can only enhance those things depending on how you're born. And my, um, I guess my take on it would be that it's a little bit of both, to be honest with you. I think that certainly, uh, given certain advantages, a person can achieve a lot more. Do you agree with that statement right there? Yeah. But I think that people, uh, by and large, personalities, man, um, you see a personality come out of a two-year-old before you've ever taught them anything. <laughs> like how to be selfish. <laughs> yes or no? So, I mean, I have watched hours whack each other with toys at an age where you're just like, where'd that come from? It's either the devil or it's nature, one of the two. So um, I would just say that it's a little bit of both. And the reason I bring that up is uh, when it comes to like how you respond to God, I think uh, this question then becomes like important because some people come to God and they're so free in that. And yet some people come to God and they've got to come out of so much before they actually enjoy serving God. Just because you end up knowing God doesn't mean that instantly, man, you're free of everything. Some people have so much junk that they carry and such an opinion about things. Uh, they really are, um, the words, legalists. They're legalists about everything. Everything has to do with right and wrong. They have an overdeveloped sense of right and wrong and how things should work, and they pay attention to things like that. Uh, and then it really turns into this weird thing for a lot of people is that when you are like that, you tend to end up being a person who tries to earn God's favor rather than enjoy God's favor. And for the person who doesn't struggle with that, you hear a message like this and you think, what's the big deal? I've used this many, many times. Chris and I are so different from each other in so many ways. She has this great thing that I admire so much. She truly believes she's God's favorite. That's <laughs> what she believes. She was born that way. She's lived her life that way. She just, she just knows that when she dies, there'll be like a long line and she'll be asked to come to the front to get into heaven while I wait in the back for everybody else to get up there. And then when we get there, there'll be two keys, a great big key and a small tiny key. And Jesus will hand her the big key and tell her, hey, it's for your great big mansion. And she'll say, what's the little key for? She'll say, uh, that's for John to live out behind you in a little house. <laughs> to serve you all the days of his life in heaven. It's not quite that bad. Here, here was, uh, here's nurture and nature. I think by nature, 
I tend to be a judgmental person. I think by nature, I look at a situation before I have all the evidence or the facts, I pass judgment on it real quick. Anybody else in here like that? Let's be honest. You know, you don't just limit it to a situation, politics or the news or a person. You do the same thing with God. Um, I think then uh, the nurture part is that I was raised a Catholic. The Catholic Church could uh, teach guilt like nobody could teach guilt. And they taught performance like nobody taught performance. Earn your salvation and work hard at it. Uh, the idea somewhere, I don't remember anybody ever saying this, but somehow it was communicated that the harder you work, the more God liked you. The better you ended up. And so somehow between um, being born with uh, sort of a judgmental type personality and then being raised in a place that was like that, I became a legalist, man. When I was like uh, born again, let me clarify that terminology in case you don't know. When I came to Jesus, uh, I knew about him from the time I was a little kid. I had been taught, but I didn't know him. Does that make sense? And when I knew him and recognized my need for him and said, God, you know, forgive me of my sin. I need you. Help me. Save me. God did that. And this wonderful, freeing, unbelievable life was given to me. And yet shortly I took that thing, that, that religious, you know, judgmental earning thing, and I brought it into my salvation. Um, it would show up in things like this, like, uh, you know, we're supposed to pray but how long do you pray? It's like a nominal believer might pray for five minutes. A good believer might pray for 30 minutes. Ooh, a pastor that loves Jesus, he's got to go for at least an hour. You ever tried to pray by a clock? Man, time ceases, doesn't it? That thing moves like click, click. It actually goes backwards, it seems like, doesn't it? Um, you know, just going to church, rather than it being a joyous thing and a freedom thing, it was like I had to measure how many times I went and then compare myself to other people. And there was nobody that was like keeping count. I was. It was this really ugly thing that developed. And instead of enjoying my salvation, enjoying the life of God, I turned it into this thing that God never intended it to be. Okay. So I, uh, in the middle of that, you know, I feel the call of God on my life. I go to a Bible school. I graduate, I start in ministry, but I was a pastor who was a legalist. And so when I taught the gospel for a long time, I taught it through a legalist point of view. So um, here's the nature-nurture thing. I had a lot of people in my care early on as a pastor who I nurtured to be legalists. You know, that whole, uh, like, you know, Jesus saying, man, if you look at a woman lustfully in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Dude, you can tear people up with that if you're a legalist. Do you get what I'm saying? So I'm not going to go a lot into that right this second, but just so that's the guy that I am. And I got to where I did not enjoy my salvation at all, and I did not be, enjoy being a pastor, and I did not enjoy what I was doing. And um, I decided, you know, I, I'm going to get out of this particular denomination that I'm in, and I, I think maybe that's the problem, but the problem's not that. It's you. It's what's going on inside of you. And so I left, and I went to this church, and I went to this church that was really a grace church. Man, they preach grace. And I thought that's what I wanted, but here's the problem. When you're a legalist and you go to a grace church, grace makes you mad. Yeah. <laughs> it makes you mad because you think the people are all backsliders. You think, man, you're not supposed to be laughing and enjoying this. We work hard if we love God. 
I had this just this real weirdo thing. So I go to work at this church, and um, they have a, uh, a retreat almost immediately after I start. And they bring a man in named Malcolm Smith, who's probably one of the foremost teachers. He's from England, so everything he says sounds, you know, smart anyway. But he's teaching on grace, and he was so good at what he was teaching that all the arguments that I was trained in were being, he was just peeling them away. And there was, I had nothing left to stand on except anger. So I remember being so angry in the middle of this retreat. I went back to my room. I packed all my stuff. I had a Honda Civic. I threw it in my Civic. We were in Estes Park, Colorado. I drove down from the YMCA. It was right at the end of springtime. Uh, it was still cold up there, but it was beginning to melt. Uh, right when you're pulling into the YMCA, there were some beaver ponds, and I slammed the brakes on her. I was so mad at God. I was so mad at God. I got out, and I took these great big rocks, and I was throwing it through the ice, and each one I'd throw, I'd yell at God, why did you let me come here? God, what am I going to do now? I can't move my family over and over and over again, and I'm so unhappy, and I'm so miserable, and why is it like this, and can't you see how hard I'm trying? And God doesn't answer one, he doesn't answer one time. He does, all that happened is my arm got tired of throwing rocks through the ice, and I got done, and I sat down on a log, and I just looked in there, and I thought, okay, what am I going to do? And I felt like the Lord spoke to me, and this is, uh, this is what he showed me, a picture, like a crossroads. One went up the mountain and one went down the mountain and I felt like this is what the Lord said to me uh, John you understand uh, actually very little about who I am you think I'm all about the law right and wrong and that's why Jesus came. it's all because of right and wrong and he said even that you don't understand all as well as you think you do there's a lot you need to learn and you can go one of two ways you can get in your car and go back up put your stuff away and sit and begin to learn or you can drive down the hill and go your own way. And this is what I felt like the Lord said. I'm not going to leave you. I love you. But if you drive down that hill, I knew I was going down a hill and probably choosing the way the rest of my life would turn out. You know, maybe one of the most important questions that could ever be asked is, why do people that love God end up so mean sometimes? I mean, doesn't that seem like that should never happen? Shouldn't the people that know God be the happiest? Enjoy life the most. Enjoy the fact that they're free and that God's done so much for them. Man, I got back in my car. I drove back up that hill. Here's what had happened. They were still meeting. No one even knew I was gone. I put all my stuff back in the room. I walked back into the meeting, sat right back down in my chair. Somebody said, are you feeling okay? Yes, I feel fine. Blame it on like I had to go to the bathroom for a long time. Sat there. <laughs> Spent the next two days. Learning, and it was a beginning of moving from a legalist to a person who understood grace. Here's what's really funny. It took me three years, listen to this, three years to unlearn. Not three years to move into grace. Three years to unlearn legalism and then three years to learn grace before I could even teach it. It was a six-year process. But once I got free from it, man, it was the thing that radicalized my life. It made teaching a joy. It made serving Jesus a joy. Uh, you know, Malcolm would say things like this. This is what's one of the things that just really made me so angry. He just said, um, you know, e even as, as good as you are right now and as hard as you're trying right now, on your best day, dressed your best, witnessing the most, accomplishing the most for Jesus, doing the most that you've ever done in your life, he doesn't love you one iota more than he loved you before you didn't know him on your worst day doing the worst drugs, drinking the worst drink, having an affair. And I'm like, how can God love the same? Doesn't he see how hard I'm trying? 
Some of you sit and you're like, yeah. You would struggle with legalism. He said things like, God loves us because of who he is, not because of who we are. How terrible is that? How angry I was. (laughs) One of the first things that God taught me coming out of it that I was allowed to teach about grace was the message that I'm going to give you. It was the foundational message of our church. Remember, we're at 20 years, and so during this year, I'm not doing it for every series. I'm only doing it for three series. I'm just going back to some of the foundational things that we taught that made us who we are. Somebody asked me the other day, you know, I'm trying to figure out Jubilee. Who is Jubilee? Jubilee can't be pegged like that. Because I'm not trying to be like any other church. You want to know who we are? We're a church that when you give, we take 10% and we support missions to the tune of more than a million dollars a year. So that when we show you things like this that you just saw, that's who Jubilee is. Who is Jubilee? Jubilee is a place for recovering legalists. We totally are a place for recovering legalists. Uh, We're a place for recovering pastors too. Uh, We're a place where people can come in and I think be taught and be fed. And the reason we don't have to chase them is because sheep know when they eat well. They know where to come back to when they want a good meal. And I think that's a pretty neat thing to not have to like chase people down and make it a real complicated thing. Who's Jubilee? I think Jubilee is a grace church. So the first message that I taught this church, uh, I talked about the tree of life. And um, we're going to go all the way back to creation. I'm going to be real wide this weekend. I'll get a little more in-depth. It's only a few-week series. It's really not very long. And then we'll do something brand new uh, coming into the next series. Um, But these were just foundational messages that I wanted to review and bring you back to. Because I know some people never heard them. Some people have, and maybe it'll just be a refresher for you. Either way, I want you to be full of the life of God. That's what I want for you. So there were two trees, and it started in the Garden of Eden back in the book of Genesis we won't read all of the chapter. I've got to make it a little shorter for you so that you can, uh, you can catch it and see it. But it goes like this. Uh, it's Genesis chapter 2, 8, and 9. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. All right, so a lot of people never realize this. They think that the garden was Eden. Eden was a place. It was a place on the earth. We don't know what the rest of the earth looked like. The whole earth was not Eden. Eden was a place that God carved out of the earth. And in the garden of Eden, he planted, I'm, I'm sorry, in the place of Eden, he planted a garden. So we call it the Garden of Eden, but in Eden there was actually a garden that God had planted. So the Lord God planted a garden in Eden towards the east side of Eden. And there he placed the man that he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So real quick, just do the math with me. There's lots and lots of trees that produce fruit. The man can eat and eat and eat and be happy and happy, but right in the middle he plants how many trees? Okay, and the first tree is the tree of life, and the second tree is the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, and then God just commands the man real easy. Hey, here's the deal. Of every tree in this garden, including the tree of life, of every tree in the garden, you are free to eat. I have no problem with it. Go and eat as much as you want. Go go and enjoy yourself. It's all good for you. It'll be healthy for you. Uh, I, I created it for your pleasure. I created it to satisfy you. I created it to do all of these things. Uh, here's the only thing that you can't do. There's only one tree. We don't know how many trees, thousands and thousands of trees. But there's one tree, and it's called the knowledge of good and evil. And the only thing that you cannot do, the only thing that you can't do is eat from this tree. 
We know that the man listened and promptly went out and did what? Did the one thing he was told not to do. (laughs) The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to watch over it. There are two trees. Uh, It's really a metaphor. Somebody asked me, do you believe in a literal Garden of Eden? Yep. So why would you believe it? Because Jesus referred to it. So some of you are like, you know, the book of Genesis, isn't it all just a bunch of stories and metaphors and this? I'm not here to argue with you, but I'll just simply say this. If Jesus referred to it and taught from it, then at some level Jesus believed it was true. And because I follow Jesus, it settles the issue for me on whether or not I think there was a Garden of Eden. I do. I think there was a Garden of Eden. I think there was a man and I think there was a woman. And I think that, um, I think that man that you and I know and understand and and I think you can trace it back to two human beings. I think that science has done that. I think that that's an entirely possible thing. But I also think that it's a metaphor, and the two trees are a metaphor for these two things. The tree of life is just Jesus. Already from the very beginning, uh, God is trying to talk about how you live life, and the tree of life is Jesus. If you live your life through Jesus, if you let everything that happened to you happen to you through Jesus. So like when you're offended, instead of it just being you take it in and you decide how you're going to respond, if you realize what Jesus has done for you and how much Jesus loves you and how much he loves the person who did something to you, if you live your life through that, you can forgive people. The best part about the tree of life is that when you eat of that fruit, you live, you get life. And we all get to choose. It's the same point here. God puts two trees out there. The tree of life is Jesus. If you want to live, eat of this fruit. You'll live forever. And you'll live a really good life. It's just really simple. Everything that happens to you, everything that happens in every relationship, everything that happens in your job, everything that doesn't happen in your job, everything that happens in your marriage, everything that happens in your finances, in your church, in this world, with your government, everything that happens can be lived through Jesus. It's called being led by the Spirit or filled by the Spirit. You know, the Bible commands all believers to live their life that way. If you're going to walk in this world, walk in the Spirit. Now, some of us look like, how do you do something? It's so difficult. Don't you know the difficult of it? Yep. And you have to decide whether or not you want to live or die. It's the same choice today as it was then. So Jesus is just the metaphor. Jesus is the tree of life. I'll talk about that next week far more. Uh, The tree of of the knowledge of good and evil, I call the tree of death simply because God said, if you eat of it, you shall surely what? Okay, you'll die. So the tree of death is judgment. Now let me tell you why I believe that to be true and explain this to you and see if you can pick up on this. In fact, I'll let you you do the teaching so that you get this. Um, God put two trees in a garden. Uh, You can eat of every tree that you freely want to except the knowledge of good and evil because uh, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die Uh, We know that Eve gets tempted with it. She eats of it. She gives some to her husband. He eats of it. Now, here's here's my question. Did they die instantly? Okay. Spiritual death never kills you overnight. When you get into this kind of death that the Bible is talking about, it's a poison that goes down to your inmost beings. And it starts uh, in the inmost place. Proverbs says it this way. There's a morsel that goes down inside and it seems like it tastes so good, but when it's done with you, man, it fills you with poison. When you eat of the knowledge of good and evil, it doesn't kill you instantly and that's why you think you can get away with it. You think you can handle it. You think you're okay. You think you can judge. And I'll explain what judgment is in just a moment. 
But the problem is it's a slow-killing poison, and it didn't kill Adam and Eve instantly, but it did kill them spiritually. And we know that uh, it caused a world to fall, and we still live under that curse. So let me just real quickly, uh, God tells them, you can eat of this tree, but you can't eat of this tree, because when you do, uh, it'll kill you. The devil comes to Eve, and he tempts her uh, with the most remarkable words, uh, did, did God say? All she has to say to stop the conversation is, yes. That's all she has to say. Yes, he did. But instead, she says that, and she adds more to it. Yes, he did say that, and starts to talk about it. And this is what the devil says, um, you will not surely die. Here's why God doesn't want you to do it. He's a liar. Because you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and right and wrong. And you will be like, and the original lie, just follow me real quickly. The original lie is that you can be like God and only God. God created you, therefore God knows what you can handle and what you can't handle, yes or no. And since that day, what mankind has done, no matter where you live in the world and no matter how far into the future we go, every man, woman, every person has made this mistake when they eat of the knowledge of good and evil. We take into our thoughts, I know what's best for me. I know what I can do. I know how I can live. I know what I can spend. I know where I can go. I know who can be my friends. I know who I can reject. I, I can do all of those things just like God. And some of you sit here right now and you live your life that way right now. You don't ask God one thing about what you should do. You make up your own mind every day because you're free. Freedom is not the ability to choose Freedom is the absence of bondage. And if your choices lead you into bondage, then you ain't free. The knowledge of good and evil, real quickly. God has no problem with you being smart. God created your brain. God has no, no problem with you putting doctor in front of your name. Doctors are awesome. God has no problem with you passing the Jeopardy quiz. Yay for you! God has no problem with believers being able to present the gospel in a way that makes them sound like they have a brain. Your brain is a blessing. It is not a curse. It is good. And God does not expect you to be stupid. This word, unfortunately for us, messes us up because we take take the idea... You can be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. We think that that means we're not allowed to know what's good and what's bad. No, what he's saying is you're not allowed to decide for yourself. Only God is God. And the original lie that the devil told mankind was you can be like God. There's nothing wrong with being smart. It's when you don't yield to God. You're being like God and it will kill you. So the tree of life is Jesus, and the tree of death is simply judgment. How about this? You ever heard this? Those of you who are dieting, those of you who, uh, you know, I, I know we'll have the, the membership dessert this weekend, and we're kidding about, you know, hey, come and eat all this sugar. But the truth of the matter is you are what you eat, yes? And in a limited supply, it's good, but in a bad supply, sugar is not good. We know what it does to you. Real quick, uh, you ever heard this? You are what you eat. Now, verse 17. Let me show you this real quick. Verse 17. Uh, So you can eat of every tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
Uh, if you eat his fruit, you are sure to die. If you're eating stuff that's going to kill you, if you get into judgment, it's going to kill you. You are what you eat. If you're eating death, look at me, you're full of death. And one of, the, one of the greatest works that God needs to do in your life is to set you free. You are what you eat. Let me tell you, if you make yourself God, if you don't live your life, uh, yield your life to him, if you don't live your life as a believer asking God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? Where do you want me to go? Uh, what is my life supposed to look like? Who is the person that I'm supposed to marry? If you're, if you're not yielding your life to God, then you're making yourself God by saying, he has no right to tell me. I can do what I want. And you're eating of the knowledge of good and evil. You are what you eat. You're eating death. Let me tell you the three things that will happen to a person who tries to act like God. And it'll happen every time. It'll happen in your relationships. It'll end up in, it'll end up in areas of your life. This is that thing. You don't die instantly, but you'll die, and I can, I'll show you what the poison looks like. The first thing that will happen to you, if you act like God, if you take over that area of your life, if you just am like, I can make my own decisions, I don't need God to tell me anything, the first thing that will enter into your life is shame. You'll be a person who deals with shame. It's the poison that you take into yourself. Before Adam and Eve ate of that tree, let me show you what their lives were like. Now, the man and his wife were both what? It's okay, one more time. The man and his wife were both what? And they felt no shame. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be in relationships without shame? Now, you can read this literally like, hey, you know, they walked around no clothes and they felt no shame. Yeah, absolutely, that's what was going on between the two of them. But what is it about our relationships that we, why do we have to put on such funky things when we talk to people and meet people? And Why can't we just act like who we really are? You know why? We're afraid people will reject us, yes or no? We're afraid they will reject us. The very first thing that happens uh, after they eat that fruit, remember they were naked and they felt no shame. At the moment they ate it, their eyes were opened and they suddenly, look at the word, they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Man, they walked around, we don't know for how long, eons? Uh, eight months eight, I, we don't know how long it was but how awesome how difficult is it for a married couple after years to finally get to that place where they're really comfortable with each other where they're really like I can be who I am in front of you and you won't reject me for that thing right there if you ever find a friend who loves you that way dude hold on to that friend hold on to that friend most of us can't get that way with somebody because we take that poison into ourselves and we're so afraid of rejection. We can't even be that way with God. We do the same thing with the fig leaves. Since this happened, man has been unable to go and be face-to-face with God too. We're afraid of God also. Which is the second thing that happened. Fear enters into relationship and in particular with God. Uh, in chapter 3, here, here's how Adam and Eve had it. Now, we, we take it just by um, the inference of what happens, what it must have been like. All right, when the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. Just stop right there. Okay, this is making a statement about what God uh, does with the man and the woman on a day-to-day basis. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife Heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. Let me just prove it to you that God did this. Uh, How would they know what the sound is unless they heard it before? 
They're very familiar with God coming and walking with them. The word walk there uh, is, is the most amazing word. It means just simply to walk around without any place to go. Have you ever just gone for a walk with your wife or your kids or a friend? You just go for a walk and you're not walking any place, but you're just walking around, you're talking, and you're having some of the best times. Some of the best times I ever spent with Chris are walking. Just walking. That's what they had with God. Have you ever said to yourself, I wish God would just show up and tell me how he feels about this thing right here? What if God would do that every day? That's what they had. And the first thing that suffers is when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So God came to do what he had done every day, to walk with the man and the woman, to answer their questions, to love on them. They were created for one reason and one reason only, to know God and be known by God. That's the relationship they enjoy. And then here's what they do for the very first time. They hear the sound of God walking in the garden and they hid from the Lord God amongst the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man. That's the first time this ever had to happen. Adam, where are you? Why are you hiding? You hear me? And Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, and so I hid because I was afraid because I was naked. I just real quickly... The hardest thing any person will ever do once they come back into relationship with God is get to the level where you really, really, really open up and allow God to know who you are. He knows, but we think, i got to hide this or stop this or act this way or be this way, and that'll, that'll make God happy. They sowed fig leaves for themselves. I just call it fig leaf religion. Um, Catholicism uses priests to go between them and God. The Jews used Moses to go between them and God. And most of us use our busyness to go between us and God. We hit and miss real fast in our relationships. When we pray, when we do, we don't, we don't linger, we don't stay. We're like, you know, it's, we just talk, we give God our list and off we go. We are afraid to really be intimate with him. So the first thing, shame. The second thing, fear. Uh, the third thing, identity issues. Where do you think identity issues come from? What do you think they are? A flaw in the genetic code? What do you think it is? A lot of science out there. A lot of it's junk science, to be honest with you. I can show you the first time that it happened. It happened in that first uh, part of Genesis 3-7. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves um, just a few moments before, they knew exactly who they were and they were comfortable with who they were before God, yes or no. And now all of a sudden they're completely uncomfortable and they have to put something between them and God. God's next move for this couple is that he kills an animal to cover them. Now, it already means this. If you just want to look at it from the point of view of what God's doing, it already means that God is finding a way to cover over what's wrong. What did Jesus' blood do? Man, it not only did it cover our sin, it took it away. But the problem with this kind of poison is just, it's just really simple. Once you take it in, it's there. Here's what you think to yourself. Uh, I, can, I can eat of this fruit and I can, I can decide quickly to get rid of it. You take it in, you will deal with shame, fear, and identity issues going forward. It's the funniest thing, man. You're worried about what people think about you. You're worried that if you really told them who you are, what you really think, what you really enjoy, you're worried problem with the poison is it just simply, it'll kill you. Um, here's interesting. 
This, this probably more than anything, I think, is, uh, is, is really interesting. When the enemy came to Eve to tempt her with, you know, we call it what? An apple, but it was fruit. Um, the Bible says that when she looked at it and saw that it was good, pleasing, and desirable. So it's Genesis 3.6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. So just look at it one more time. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good, pleasing, and what? Desirable. Hey, look at me real quick. Whenever the devil approaches you with something, it always looks good, pleasing, and desirable. If it looked like it was full of maggots and full of death, you'd look at it and go, no. Yes? This is how it works. The problem with this poison right here, it disguises itself to look like life. It doesn't look like death. And you eat it, and you take that poison into yourself, and then, man, it just reinforces. You live that life. Now you're a believer, but, man, you haven't taken that thing into yourself, and now you don't enjoy your relationship with God. You don't enjoy your relationship with others. You're so full of fear God's constantly like, this isn't it, this isn't it. Why are churches full? Why do people who love God, why do they end up being so mean? Because they're full of this death right here. And when they die, they'll go to heaven because this isn't heaven and hell. But it is the life you live right now and how much you enjoy what you get to do right now. Heaven's based on the work of Jesus, but this life is based on your choices. So let me talk about the tree of life, Jesus, real quickly. I'm going to go to the New Testament. Um, this is like my, my favorite scripture in the New Testament. And I taught from it, I think, maybe once or twice um, before. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I love the very first verse of it. Um, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? You're a new person. So if you're in Christ, yeah, new creation is one of the translations. So any, any person that belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is what? And the new life has begun. And then it goes on. All of this is a gift from God. You don't earn a gift. You don't, you don't, uh, you don't perform for a gift. You don't, uh, you don't have to join to get a gift. Uh, all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ and has given us the task of reconciling people to himself. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Okay, let me teach you on reconciliation real quick. Uh, the word re is a prefix word. We just put it before something when we're going to do something again. So if I, if I repeat myself, I have to peep myself first. Yes? Right? Right, right? If I, it, I mean, put it, put it with any word. Uh, if you redo something, you have to do it first to redo it, Right? Okay, reconciliation, reconciliation. So just think about this. To be reconciled, you have to be consiled the very first time, right? When was the last time before Jesus that we were consiled to God? Say it. In the garden. 
Jesus' job, according to this scripture, is to bring things back to like they were in the garden, where God could come every day, where we don't have to be full of shame, fear, and identity issues. We can be who we are before God, love him, know him. He plugs into us. We plug into him. We grow. We're full of life. We're full of joy. And it's like that every day. That's the ministry of reconciliation. But this is important. If we're given that ministry, how can we do that ministry if we're not living in reconciliation with God? If we're full of fear, here's what, we make a disciple after what we are. I've said this for years, you reproduce after your kind. When we had cats, I never thought little humans were about to pop out of that cat and we're going to have a whole new family. I never thought that stupid thought. When Chris had babies, I never thought, now we're going to have to take care of more cats. They were going to be humans. We had a peach tree in our backyard. When it produced fruits, it never produced watermelon. It never produced grapes. It always produced... Isn't that the craziest thing you've ever heard? We reproduce after our kind. The Spirit of God reproduces after the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of flesh reproduces after the Spirit of flesh. And if you live in the flesh and you're led by the flesh and you feed your flesh, you can love God, but what you reproduce in other people is flesh. You'll reproduce fear. Listen to me. You know why this is really important? You better make sure your pastor then is a person of grace because what I'm preaching right now either reproduces fear. I could stand up here and talk to you about how hard you have to work to earn God's love. And I did it for years, man. I didn't do it thinking I was doing something wrong either. I was trying to keep people out of hell instead of celebrate that we were going to heaven. Did you get it? Like, uh, you could tell people, so I teach the pastors this, like, there's there's two ways to say anything. So, like, you could preach to people, if you don't read your Bible, you're not going to grow. How many of you are reading your Bible right now? Tell me what your Bible reading plan is. Most people just feel condemned. I really don't want to tell you. And you're right. I suck. Okay. All right. So we all agree then. Come back next week and I'll tell you how to do it even better. Um, Or you can say this. Man, the moment, the moment you pick it up and you begin to look at it and read it, Jesus is going to meet you right there. And he's written that for you. It's a love letter. And somewhere in it, he's going to reach up and grab your face and pull you down and tell you, I wrote this because I love you so much and it'll change your life. Which one do you want to do? Because one is from the knowledge of good and evil. It's not good not to read your Bible. And one is from the tree of life. Jesus loves you and wants you to grow. Did you get the subtlety of the difference? The problem with that poison is that once it gets in you, man, the work of Jesus trying to reconcile himself to the world, no longer counting people's sins against... Here's our message. We should be standing up saying this to people. God is not counting your sins against you. Jesus got on a cross. Every sin in the world was put on Jesus. Your sin does not separate you from God any longer according to this. Here's what separates you then. Reconciliation. Do you want to be reconciled to God? You get a choice. Your sin is not the issue. Jesus paid for... If your sin's the issue, then Jesus has to come back tomorrow to die for your sin again. All of it was put on Christ. God poured out His wrath and all sin is taken care of through Jesus, man. 
You know the real issue about this message, more than anything else? I'll finish it. And he's given us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ. When we plead with people, come back to God. He loves you. He cares for you. Uh, Jesus has died for you. God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through who? So the opportunity now is not to go pay for If it's about your sin, someone's got to pay for it. Jesus did so you can accept that and be reconciled to God through Christ and be free. Or you can get in that knowledge of good and evil and be working really hard to deal with all your sin all the time. The real issue is obedience is the key. You know what God wants from every person is obedience. You know what he wanted from Adam and Eve? Obedience. Here's two trees. And there's actually many, many trees. And you can eat from every tree in this garden except for the knowledge of good and evil because if you eat of that evil tree, you will die. All God wanted for them was to be obedient. Eat from every other tree except this tree. Obedience is always the key. All right, here's a scripture I like. Um, I, I would tell my children when they were growing up. Chris and I try to remind ourselves of this. It's Deuteronomy 30 verse 19. Uh, today, I have given you the choice between uh, life and death, between blessing and curses. Now, I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you're going to make, and oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Okay, so God puts life and death before us, and then he says, oh, that you would choose life. Here's my question. If life is such an such a obvious thing to choose, why does he have to encourage people to do it? It's not always obvious what life is, and it's not always obvious what death is. Eve looked at it, and it was good, pleasing, and desirable. You've got, this is where the relationship with Jesus is everything, being led by the Holy Spirit, doing what God tells you to do. Obedience is the key. If you'll just be obedient to Jesus, man, all the decisions that you have to make, if you'll do what God tells you to do, they'll lead to life. They'll lead to joy and they'll lead to peace and they're so wonderful. And I'm going to be honest with you, if the decisions you're making are when you look back on your life and you're like, why isn't it that way? You didn't listen to God. It can't be both ways. And I'm your pastor and I love you and so I say it with just nothing but love in my heart. But it's never too late to be obedient. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than all the stuff that you can do. Just be obedient. God, I'll do the thing you told me to do. So here's the best question. What do you want me to do? And then listen, because that's where the life of God is at. Do what he told you to do. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you, God, for being able just to, um, to talk to your people. And God, for me, it was a message that changed my life. It was a message, God, that... For so long, I worked so hard on my salvation. Uh, for so long, God, I tried to earn it. For so long, God, I tried, to, I tried to impress you. For so long, God, I worried about what everybody else was doing too. For so long, I judged those things. God, instead of letting you be the Savior, I tried to be the Savior. Instead of just living in the fact that you dealt with my sin, I was always trying to pay for my sin. Hey, listen to this. While you're praying, here's how my prayer life would always begin when I was a legalist. I would always begin by saying something like this. Uh, God, thank you that I can come before you. God, I just want to confess my sin to you right now. And then I'd spend forever confessing my sin. 
And it's okay to confess your sin. There's a place in the Bible to confess your sin. But if all you're doing is talking about your sin to God, God has already forgiven your sin. How about this? God, thank you that you've forgiven me. Now, God, let's talk about what you want to do with my life from this point forward. And so many of us, when we begin to pray, all we do is talk about our sin. Do you know if you've asked God to forgive your sin, he can't remember your sin anyway? So you're sitting there and he's going, I can't understand. What is he saying? What, what is going on with him? And we spend our time feeling so condemned or so full of fear or with so much stuff between us and God. And that's not the life and that's not what he called you to and that's not what he wants from you. And really this message, I guess if you said, Pastor, uh, man, identify just real Who's it for? Probably these two people. It probably speaks first and foremost to people who don't know God. It's God saying to you, he wants to be reconciled to you. That Jesus has done all the work. He did all the heavy lifting. All the stuff that separated us from God, Jesus took upon himself on the cross. He paid the price for it so that you and I can be forgiven. But the message may be more crucial to the person who believes in Jesus who has put their trust in the work of Jesus, but still lives every day taking in the knowledge of good and evil, trying to be God, full of fear, judgment, messed up in their identity, who they really are in Christ. How wonderful it is to be free. How good it is to enjoy the relationship with God. How good it is that church isn't a duty and worship isn't something simply to be tolerated. But it's it's our way of expressing love to God and then feeling that love back from Him. To be full of joy and life. To not just believe that he forgives, but to enjoy the forgiveness. Oh my goodness, if that's you, and you're just full of all those things that bring such death. Man, I'm telling you, sometimes there's an unlearned process to learn first. If your nurture and your nature was that whole what's wrong and all the problems and everybody trying to fit into this little narrow thing. It's just, oh, God wants to set you free from that. I'm going to pray over you right now. If you find yourself stuck in that paradigm, that the Lord would be merciful to you right now and begin the process of washing your mind So that you live in the joy and the life and the freedom that the Holy Spirit has for you. God, He doesn't want you to go home anymore. And the last thing you want to do is spend time with God because you know every time you do, you just feel guilty. That's what I'm talking about. He wants you to go home and look so forward to spending time with Him because you get to. And because when you plug into Him, He tells you how much He loves you and what He has for you. That's God. Don't create one in your image. 
Let the one who is tell you who he is and then just you live in that. God, I just pray you help us with this. I know for so many, God, it's a, a real legalist might even be a little mad right now at what I taught. God, help us to get this. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to me.